This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. IXL's all-inclusive online teaching and learning platform simplifies ed tech needs and accelerates achievement in 95 of the top 100 U.S. school districts. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and it helps you assess student performance through actionable real-time insights at every level of your school or district. This one solution performs work that typically requires dozens of different tools. Want to find out why so many leading districts trust IXL? Visit IXL.com forward slash B-E. That's IXL.com forward slash B-E. Every child deserves a team. That's the belief behind Jigsaw Learning, a proud sponsor of the B Podcast Network. And it's why the company, founded by educators Curtis and Lorna Hewson, focuses on ensuring success for all learners through collaborative response, an approach in which every child is supported by a team. Through customized professional learning that incorporates workshops, leadership development, online learning opportunities, and more, Jigsaw Learning can guide you every step of the way to create a plan to maximize the collective capacity in your schools. Learn more at jigsawlearning.ca. TL Talk Radio, Season 4, Episode 37. Welcome to Season 4, Episode 37 of TL Talk Radio, a regular podcast with Lynn Funy-Hatton and Randy Ziegenfuss, where our goal is to engage you in learning, motivate you to share your work, and inspire you to lead for the change we need in schools for the digital age. I'm Randy Ziegenfuss. And I'm Lynn Funy-Hatton. Good afternoon, Randy. Good afternoon, Lynn. So, great opportunity today that we have. Uh, we are speaking with Dr. Rebecca Wolf and learning more about her work on educator and leadership competencies for learner-centered personalized education. Rebecca is an associate vice president at Jobs for the Future, where she oversees Students at the Center initiative. Students at the Center serves as a national, credible, and influential voice for transformative learner-centered teaching and learning practices. Together with their partners, Students at the Center aims to ensure all students with a special focus on low-income youth and students of color, have concrete opportunities to acquire the skills, knowledge, and dispositions needed for success in college, the workforce, and civic life. Rebecca has authored or co-authored numerous publications on student-centered learning, including Rethinking Readiness, Deeper Learning for College, Work, and Life, and Anytime, Anywhere, Student-Centered Learning for Schools and Teachers, both from Harvard Education Press. In March, Rebecca was recognized as the New England Secondary School Consortium's 2018 Regional Champion for being a tireless leader in New England's effort to ensure high-quality learning experiences for all students across the region. Welcome to the TL Talk Radio Podcast, Rebecca. Well, thanks so much, Randy and Lynn. It's great to be here. Well, we're very excited about your work and to learn uh, a lot more about that in the podcast, and I'm sure our listeners are as well. So let's get started. As leaders in school districts focused on transformation to a more learner-centered environment, we have become very interested in your work around educator and leadership competencies for learner-centered education. So share with us and our listeners how you distinguish learner-centered from the more dominant school-centered paradigm. First, I want to agree. So with the Center Initiative back in 2010, we actually didn't 
start it saying, hey, we really want to distinguish things from the current school and test-centered kinds of models and do something different. What we started with was a question of pretty basic way of approaching research on learning with saying, how do students actually learn best? What do we know about what motivates students? And what do we know or predict that they're going to know in a really rapidly changing world? So that was kind of what we started from. And from there, we spent several years looking across the research and uh, publishing a series of white papers that synthesized hundreds of studies, current evidence, things that were coming out. So we started out with a pretty uh, agnostic, if you will, approach um, to what we were thinking we were looking for learning. Um, and from that, we developed uh, what we think is a pretty tight and clear definition, which is that when we're looking at something and considering it learner-centered, it's got to have um, an interwoven um, uh, number of four principles. So we start um, everything from looking at, is it personalized? Is it um, really taking advantage of relationships and that personal aspect of learning? What uh, interests students, what motivates them, um, and how are they working with their peers and their teachers to really set that interest on fire? Um, then we found that it really needs to be competency-based. And what we mean by that is, um, really starting to understand and how we measure learning rather than measure butt time in seats or rather than measure can you fill out a test at a certain time that somebody else has prescribed for you. So how do you really break down the pieces of what a student needs to know and be able to do and measure it in a more time sensitive way that really speaks to the student being able to demonstrate their learning rather than necessarily demonstrate they can take a test. The third piece of our definition is around anytime, anywhere learning. So, you know, I like to say that we don't, uh, you know, our brains don't turn off when the bell rings at two and nor does it turn on necessarily when the bell rings at eight in the morning. So how do we take more advantage of learning spaces? How do we take more advantage of the digital world? How do we take more advantage of the classroom across the hall um, to really deepen the learning experience? And finally, the one that's probably the most radical, if you will, for today's uh, education system is that it needs to be student-owned and student-led. So what we found when we started looking at all these research studies is not that youth development and student voice and choice are these kind of nice things we do on the side because we care about kids, but in fact, that is where the learning occurs. It's in those connections that the learners start to make for themselves. It's in that moment where they are leading, they are allowed to fail and learn from their failures, that the real learning actually takes place in the brain in a way that they can transfer it to the next um, learning. Learner-centered really for us also means that learner ownership, learner voice piece. And then finally, at the end of the day, the, the so what question is really important for us. As you said in the beginning, we care deeply about whether this is going to be available for all students in a much more equitable way, and in particular for students that have been historically marginalized. So if this kind of student-centered approaches are not done in a way that leads to deeper learning, so rigorous mastery of content along with the kinds of critical thinking and employability skills that we know every student needs, then it, we think it's really not worth doing, frankly, to be pretty blunt. I like how you uh, have sort of made the distinctions around this idea of learner-centered. And I think that helps uh, 
set the boundaries for the conversation here, especially for our listeners too, so they understand um, sort of the context in which we're having this context. And I think it's important uh, to know that before we get a little bit deeper. So you've identified these four sort of big ideas or four buckets that you um, are sort of distinguishing this learner-centered education from. Why is it important for us to specifically and comprehensively identify a set of competencies for educators and leaders that really helped to focus on these big ideas. Um, tell us a little bit about the work that led into these initial frameworks for educators and leaders. Sure, so at Students at the Center, we have long prided ourselves on trying to be field responsive. So we try not to create products and frameworks just because we think they're interesting, but because they're really being asked for by the field, by the front runners. And so that's really where the educator and leadership competencies originally came from. So we are located in New England, although we're national, and some of the folks you've had on your show in New England, the Nellie May Education Foundation has really helped seed what I often call the New England Learning Lab. So states, schools, districts all over New England have really um, really embrace this notion of being student-centered and um, are doing it in all sorts of ways, through policy, through competency models, through blended. And yet, when we all started doing this work, again, started back in 2010 and really started coming into fruition around 2013, um, the leaders of this movement, of the educators who were in the schools trying to do it, we were still in the dark days of no child left behind, you know, really last gasp. So these teachers and these leaders were trying to innovate within a structure in which they themselves had spent 15 or more years teaching to tests in schools, and they were doing it within schools that were really built for an industrial era. So these leaders were looking around and, and basically saying, help, I mean, we love it, we get it, but we don't actually know what it is. We've never seen it at scale. We've never, we can't, it's really hard to do this work in a vacuum. And so we had been kind of on this, growing interest and mission to try to put some definition and framework around this was so first we started with our four port framework and then it was okay so what does it mean to actually teach in a way that gets to that serendipitously we had been in conversation with the innovative lab network um, which was sponsored by ccsso the council of chief state school officers so at the same time that we had kind of this new england learning lab they were working with a group of states around the country at the state level that were really trying to push towards more learner-centered Approaches. So, so we teamed up and JFF really led the research, the crosswalking, the writing, and CCSSO led for the vetting and the state teams and kind of bringing it more into, um, you know, sort of a, a close alignment with the reality of what was happening in these states. Uh, and so for both the, the leadership competencies and the educator competencies, we went through a really involved process where we started with the research on what do we already know lakes for good learning and teaching and then we started pushing those boundaries so we looked at traditional standards such as in task for educators or the pestle standards for leaders and we said what about these standards is really good we're not going to throw the baby out with the bathwater what about them already is pushing towards the kinds of learner-centered teaching and learning and leading that we want but then we didn't stop there so those looking at a whole range of things from the really, really, you know, sort of more cutting edge standards um, that folks from INACOL were coming out with or 
um, ISTE, so the organizations that had been really embracing the blended learning and everything in between. Um, and then we went through quite a process of crosswalking them, vetting them with our practitioner groups. And then um, I think you guys might have even been involved. We had an open comment period where folks could, through a digital tool, actually help us line edit um, each piece of the competency. So it was a really pretty thorough um, field-based process of getting to the, the documents that we now have. So you've had a variety of um, stakeholder input and experts and certainly some other research that you utilized um, Absolutely. as well as professional standards from a variety of sources too. So it's pretty comprehensive. Yeah. <laughs> Indeed. We have, we have never been uh, accused of not being comprehensive. <laughs> it's yeah. quite the opposite. Yeah. So let's move ahead to look at some of the educator competencies. And can you give us sort of a really high level look at uh, the educator competencies and the four domains that they're broken into? One of the things before I kind of talk about those domains you just referred to that I think is really important to know about the competencies is that particularly the educator, well, I shouldn't say particularly, both sets of competencies are designed not for a single superhuman individual. We never, ever want them to become a... Uh, you know, punitive checklist for a single teacher to say, oh, you are not meeting these 12 pages of competencies, therefore you should be, you know, doctor considered a bad teacher. Part of what we're trying to set out very intentionally is that this is a new way of thinking about teaching and that it's a collaborative um, way of looking at education. So we sometimes say the competency should be from the student standpoint. So we would want a student as an individual to experience all of this wonderful teaching and learning in a day, but it might not always be from the same teacher. And it might not even necessarily be from a teacher. It might be from their internship director, and it might be from um, a counselor. So it's really, really important to understand that we're not saying one teacher needs to have all of these needs to hit every check mark in every domain. Mm -hmm. um, so with that said, we broke the competencies into essentially four big buckets. Um, we could have named them all sorts of different things, but we tried to keep them at that time when these were written in 2015, fairly close to some of the existing research around, uh, again, teaching and learning and transfer of learning. So the very first domain is the cognitive domain or what we call need to know. So each one has a little bit of a, a hopefully quick memory handle. So cognitive, what do we need to know? Intrapersonal, what do we need to process internal to ourselves as an educator? Interpersonal domain, what do we need to do to relate with the others around us? And then finally, the instructional domain, what do we need to do? So what are the kinds of logical techniques and assessment techniques that we use? on the cognitive domain, which is in the cognitive domain is where we sort of put all the academic content knowledge. But one thing that really sets these apart is the emphasis we put in the cognitive domain. And what's really about metacognition? What do educators need to know in order to help their students get to those important thinking about thinking processes? Um, that are something that have really come out of recent um, neuroscience and um, learning sciences around what's really critical for students to master. So all of that is sort of contained within the cognitive domain. In the intrapersonal domain, and we uh, really thought a lot about this because this is one of those places where I think in more traditional 
Um, educator settings, it's kind of, again, the stuff that's nice to have on the side is how the educator then use it. But as we have found in our research, the educator themselves needs to be one of the learners. So the kinds of learning mindset that they bring to their own teaching and learning is really critical. The growth mindset that they have and they portray their high expectations for themselves and for their students and their way of tackling uh, education problems through inquiry and through willingness to fail and try, all of those are within that intrapersonal domain and have been shown to be really important in some of the student outcomes that we get. And then of course the interpersonal domain, that's the social aspects, that's the personal, that's how the educator relates directly to the student, but also to their own colleagues, to the community around them. Um, and there again, we really place, I think, a larger evidence, excuse me, a larger emphasis on the influence of community, uh, both within the school community and the largest community where the school is situated um, in order to be successful in a learner-centered environment. And then, as I mentioned, the instructional domain is where you see the, the kinds of techniques that we might associate with these sort of more forward-thinking schools. So um, integrating technology at a higher uh, and more um, uh, more integrated level, um, using project-based learning, thinking about multiple measures assessment, that's kind of what goes under the, that instructional domain. And then finally, roving throughout all of these are um, clear competencies that speak to how we do them where with um, a high level attention to equity concerns. Um, so that's sort of deeply within each of those uh, domains that I just mentioned. So our listeners can certainly tell that there is some complexity uh, to this, uh, to the four domains and the competencies that are under the umbrella of each of those domains. And we will put in our show notes um, a link to the educator competencies. So if you're intrigued by what you just heard, uh, listeners, be sure to visit the show notes and uh, dig in more deeply to those educator competencies. And I should add, too, particularly with the educator competencies, we also have a digital tool that helps uh, break down in a much more visual way um, all of these uh, different domains and the competencies under them and also has resources, videos, artifacts attached to each one so you can start to get a sense of, well, what does it actually look like in practice? Mm -hmm. So Randy and I were brainstorming that it would be interesting to look at those um, competencies with our teachers, our teacher leaders at one of our summer academy sessions uh, this summer. So we're looking forward to digging in with them and learning more about um, their perspective on the competencies and and sort of where we are as a school and a district and you know where where our opportunities to grow exist as well. Fantastic. So let's shift over to um, leadership, and not sure if you are aware, Randy and I also co-host another podcast, Shift Your Paradigm, and, and in that podcast, we've been focusing on identifying new principles of leadership uh, through our conversations with learner-centered leaders and learners uh, through our connection with Education Reimagined. So we're really curious about how leadership might look different in a learner-centered environment. Can you share a little bit about the domains and some of the competencies that make up the leadership framework? Sure. So, so like with the educator competencies, it was really important for us to start out with a set of guiding principles before we got to all the complexity, as you said, of the domains and the, the different ways of measuring them. And different from the educator competencies, we worked on the leadership competencies about two years later. And in that time, the field had really made a couple of important shifts, and we thought those were important to capture within the leadership competencies. So first, 
where, as I mentioned, equity was woven throughout um, the educator competencies, it became really clear that particularly for leaders, um, equity needed to not just be woven throughout, but needed to be foregrounded. And so in the leadership competencies, we have an entire section um, how leaders uh, create systems that are really striving towards equity at all levels of the system, as well as we embed specific competencies throughout um, throughout the, the leadership work. Um, the second thing, as I mentioned too, and, and uh, again, not for a single leader. So distributed leadership model, essentially very clear that um, once again, in order to really um, do <laughs> do learner-centered well, if you will. It really needs to be a much um, more of a distributed leadership model, really looking at how you use teacher leader, the building, um, and that the leaders who are best at this are the ones who are uh, not only trusting of the skills of those around them, but but willing to fail forward, as we say. The, this idea of risk-taking and learning from risks really came out of the work that we did on the leadership piece. Um, and in the educator competencies, we weren't really ready to commit to a particular order of operations. So you heard me talk about those domains, but they're really quite circular, building off of each other. In leadership, we found that both the, re the research and the evidence was really clear that absolutely everything has to start from what we call the foundational domain, which is that set of values and clear vision of what is this leader really trying to do in their educational environment. In a lot of places, it's increasingly being called a profile of a graduate. So how would you define what you hope students leave your building or your learning environment knowing how to do? What kind of person are they? Um, and this is also one of those places that we think it really distinguishes the leadership competencies from um, some of the more traditional versions because part of that vision is really a collaborative vision setting. So it, we really emphasize um, how much you need to start from that. And it also needs to start from a really community building um, kind of approach. And, you know, we hear a lot from, from leaders in these situations that, um, you know, two phrases that I love, it's, you know, you change happens at the pace of trust. And so that trust and that collaborative vision needs to be in place first. Um, and then the other is, of course, the similar go fast to, sorry, go slow to go fast. That spending time in that really foundational competency um, is really what enables all of the work afterwards to happen. And then the other three supporting competencies, um, again, we have sort of the, the, the catchphrases. So one is personal skills, mindsets, and values, or leaders and self. How do the leaders conduct themselves? Um, the second supporting one is capacity building for innovation and continuous improvement of the leaders and others. How do the leaders build capacity in their schools? How do they do that risk-taking in a way that does move it forward and is beneficial rather than... And then finally, all of the shared responsibilities and the structures for continuous improvement. These are not done agnostic of state policies, of state uh, testing and accountability required. So how does that leader lead in systems in a way that continues to build that uh, learner-centered structure. So I'm making the connection to you um, highlighting and sort of underscoring the idea of the foundational um, competencies first and just thinking as Randy and I have shared the very comprehensive <laughs> document with our leadership team that maybe we should have just looked at that first section um, before mm -hmm. moving on to those, some of the later sections. Um, yep. Because that's yep. a, that's a pretty powerful um, idea that you shared, starting with Absolutely. that first. 
going slow to go yeah. fast. Yes, very much. So I'm, I made a lot of connections as you were answering that question and talking about the, the leadership piece here. Uh, the profile of the graduate, that's something that um, we started two years ago and has really grounded our conversations and definitely been definitely. a very powerful tool. Um, and just making connections to a lot of the other interviews that we've done with school leaders. And uh, you mentioned risk-taking, and that's certainly something that we've discovered about these kinds of leaders in these learner-centered environments, and that they're really operating on the edges of the traditional paradigm and, and mm-hmm. um, providing space for teachers and other leaders within the system to um, try new things that may not necessarily have uh, lots of research and evidence behind them, but how can they become their own researchers and um, try some new ideas and, and learn from the successes and the potential failures of those things and, and create new iterations of uh, learning models along the way. So certainly um, made that connection um, when you yes. mentioned risk taking as well, so yeah, if if, if uh, and we are leaders here within the district, but you know other leaders mm-hmm. who might be listening out there, um, who might be leaders in schools or even leaders at the dis- district level, what suggestions do you have for those leaders who might be interested in using these leadership competencies? What might be some next steps for them to get their feet wet? So as you've you've both alluded to, and I said as well. This is not a simple set of competencies. We we really we made the determination that we wanted to be comprehensive, and while that's helpful on the one hand, it's we fully understand how overwhelming it can be to read through not one but both of the documents together. And particularly by the time we got to the leadership ones, we had some real deep conversations around our team, like, well, would we rather do, you know, a leadership version light? Would we rather, you know, we we know how much teachers have used some of our other materials when they're two-page briefs with just the bullet points. And we really said, no, I mean, at its core, this is about setting out a foundational North Star document for the field. However, we fully recognize, and many of us have been school folks or leaders, and fully recognize what is on leadership's plate. So we did put in the document itself, um, thinking you folks like you might ask that very question, a whole kind of user's guide, um, where we put out some of our ideas of essentially how do you break such a big meaty piece down into ways that are more digestible, um, although in the spirit of being personalized, uh, we tried to you know, give multiple options and not say, again, you must do it by, you know, as Lynn said, you must only start with the foundational domain and don't read anything else. I mean, so, so there's a whole bunch of different ways in that user's guide. As Lynn was just saying, one of the things we have found the most useful is to treat the document itself um, almost as PD text and spend a few months, even a year we've seen in some places, just reading through it with folks with no expectation of changing behavior, of um, you know implementing necessarily, but really just understanding it mm-hmm. and then starting to crosswalk it with what are you already doing? I mean, one of the best things we have found or we have found that folks get really excited about when they start working through it is every school, every district out there is already doing some of this work. You have bright spots in any school, in any district. So a big part of what we encourage folks to do is really start from those bright spots. 
so that it's not such an overwhelming checklist again, but that it's really a look at how we're on this journey already conversation. What might be the place we want to focus this year? Is it that foundational one? Is it maybe pick just one competency? And Randy, as you were saying, really try it out. Think about it, test it, reflect on it, come back. So it becomes that kind of continuous iterative process. I mean, I think if we have any um, you know, clear dictum, it's don't do this all at once. <laughs> that would probably be a recipe for disaster and complete overwhelming. And um, you know, that's really the opposite of what we're hoping folks will take out of working with these two documents. Mm-hmm. Well, it's certainly given us some um, food for thought as we continue to use these resources with our leadership team. So what's next for you? What are you working on now, uh, Rebecca, that you would like to share with us? Well, we're actually really excited because, as you've heard, again, it's been a real labor of love just to kind of get to these documents. But we at Jobs for the Future and the Students at the Center Initiative have never considered ourselves a think tank. So for us, it's never been about put out the research and hope folks use it. And so we are really at a moment right now of starting to launch kind of the next phase of helping schools, districts, and states really start to get deeper and broader with the competencies. So um, we're guiding that work to make sure that under-resourced schools and districts have um, similar access and exposure to these kind of exciting learner-centered innovative ideas. So what we are um, unfortunately seeing is that the, the schools and the districts that are really ready to take it and run with it tend to be the better resource, tend to have um, less um, uh, less diversity and tend to be smaller. And so given our mission, we're trying to figure out ways that we can at the very least um, help start the conversations in other districts and other schools. And then the other thing that's guiding it um, is that we try to really uh, walk our talk coming up with a menu of possible supports that themselves are personalized rather than saying, we want to now march you through our official educator and leadership training. Um, So the ways that we're going to do that, one is uh, starting in October, we're going to be hosting what we're calling design studios. So light touch, one night overnights, where uh, teams of schools or uh, folks from a district can go and visit a school that is already doing a lot of the work around the educator and leadership competencies, but may not themselves be perfect. Of the the learning journey, it's it's the the school or the district is being willing to open its doors to its own learning, um, and uh, so you'll there's just nothing that beats that kind of hands-on exposure to some of the excitement of what it looks like. So that's going to be kind of our exposure model, if you will. So giving folks a little bit of a toe dip in the water of what this looks like. Um, For places that are farther along or maybe have gone through these design studios, we're then going to be doing some deepening work, and that will be a more intensive institute um, probably over the summer where folks can really dig in deeply and perhaps do some of the work that you were talking about doing in your district where you really sit down with the competencies and start doing some of that prioritizing, um, really helping give And then the final two pieces is we're looking at how would you assess them? So we're in conversations with some of the the leading folks who are thinking about things like micro-credentials and playlists. So how for a a district that's already on its way, who doesn't necessarily need, um, say, some facilitation, but does want to know, well, are we doing it well? Are we doing it any kind of 
level of rigor. That's what we're hoping um, more of a micro-credentials um, or module-based way of teaching it will be helpful. Um, and then finally, I, I can't say much about this, but we have a bunch of big ideas of how we may also start to uh, institute them a little bit more in teacher prep. So we're, we'll hopefully, uh, you know, if we're, if I'm on again in a year, I'll have something a little more concrete that I can share <laughs> about where we're trying to go there. <laughs> we'll make a note to follow up. Oh, we'd love to have you back. <laughs> Thank you very much for joining us, Rebecca. It's been a pleasure and just so excited to hear more about what's happening in your district. To learn more about Rebecca's work, visit uh, some of the links in the show notes. There's a link there to the Jobs for the Future, as well as a couple of links to the competencies and the students at the Center Hub as well. Each episode, we leave you with a question to think about with the idea of provoking conversation. This episode's question, how does a shift in educator and leadership competencies help promote a shift in the educational paradigm from school-centered to learner-centered? If you've enjoyed this episode, would like to comment or check out the resources shared today, visit the show notes at tltalkradio.org and look for season four, episode 37. That's all for this episode. We'll be back soon with another innovative thought leader. Thanks again, Rebecca. Thanks, Rebecca. Do you want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, and improve students' performance on state assessments? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com forward slash BE to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all of these goals. That's IXL.com forward slash BE.